turn to Matthew chapter 28 this morning. Matthew 28, verse 19. You know this passage well. Uh, Let's just ask for the gathering of our hearts and minds together by the Holy Spirit. As you're turning those pages, I'll pray over you. Father, I pray that as we open the Word of God and we pursue the commission that you have given to all of us who belong to you, I pray that, Father God, it will have new life for us, a new awareness, a new emphasis, and we will begin to understand our mission and calling into this community. Open our ears to hear, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. What I want to share with you this morning is a new uh, take on the great commission that God has been speaking into my heart. It's to re-energize us for our mission and our purpose. As a local church, it is our job to fulfill this great commission. But God's given me a new angle on this, and I want us to walk into it and spend a few weeks studying it. What I call it is the Immersion Commission. So in Matthew 28... Verse 19 through 20, Jesus says this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Later on he goes on and says, And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now what the Lord began to minister to me about is we've talked about this on at length that the great commission is to go to all nations and to bring all nations into discipleship teaching them training them to obey Jesus it's more than getting someone saved it is discipling someone to obey how many of you know that takes a little bit more effort time and so we're to do that with all nations but God has highlighted something for me in this verse, and that is the immersion part. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. And he says this, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, I know that is a reference to water baptism and the entrance into the covenant for salvation. It's a public declaration that when someone gets saved and they've accepted Christ's work on the cross, and by faith put their trust in Him, they are saved, and then as a public declaration, they are baptized or immersed by that faith into Jesus Christ. And we celebrate that through water baptism. But I think there's something deeper here, and the Lord began to show me an immersion into the nations. Not only are we to baptize people, that's the very physical, practical aspect of coming into covenant. But I believe what he's saying spiritually is this, that if we're going to disciple the nations, we need to immerse the nations. And that's what the word baptize means, to submerge, to immerse. We need to immerse the nations in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And a name is the identity, right? You know me as Tim. I know you as Bill or Sue or Robin. That's your identity. That's your name. Well, the identity of God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We're to immerse our community, our nation, our people, immerse them in the identity of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. In other words, there should be such a presence of God 
that draws the nations to him. It is our job to immerse this community into the identity of who God is. Immerse this community into the identity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The aspects of God's own nature. And I believe that's what we're supposed to do. Let me help you understand immersion for a minute. Baptism. Now, in, we understand it represents the death and burial into Christ. That's how we're saved. He died for our sins. Therefore, I was crucified with Christ. I died with Christ. And so I'm immersed in that revelation knowledge. I'm immersed in my faith to trust that I died with Christ. And then I come out a new identity and a new person. And so, let me help you. I I always enjoy this reference because it speaks to my heart. But when you baptize something, and I was excited about this because I did a little research, and one of the early church fathers used the example of pickles and vinegar, so I feel that I'm up to date with Oreos and milk. I'm justified. But when the concept of immersion, a baptism, is you take one thing and immerse it, overwhelm it, submerge it into another. And the commission is for us to immerse the nations that we're going into, immerse them into the identity of who God is. Overwhelm them with the presence of God. And I have to say, I think our society and our nation lately has been underwhelmed by the presence of God. And that is the fault of those who contain the presence of God. And so if we're to immerse this nation, now think of it. There's a science to this. When you take an Oreo and you take that object and you immerse it into another, you have to hold it in till it absorbs the identity of that second object. Did you see that? Right there, it's happening. What I want you to imagine is the footprint in which we live, that Roseville, East Point, St. Clair Shores, Warren, this area around here, immersing them in the presence of God so that as that city is the cookie, it begins to get overwhelmed with the presence of God. Because the people of God have moved out into this community representing the identity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And let me share with you how that is going to be accomplished. Uh, God said that it's going to be accomplished this way. For we were all baptized by one Spirit into one body, whether you were a Jew or a Greek. In other words, it no longer matters what nationality you are. The old covenant was to Israel, but now it is open to all, whether you are Jew or Greek, whether you are slave or free, in other words, whatever condition you find yourself in, or whether you're male or female, we are all given to drink of the same Spirit. Again, the reference of immersion. When you got saved, you were immersed into the body of Christ. Could I tell you something? That the presence and the anointing of Christ never left the earth. Jesus ascended to the throne of God, but his anointing and his body, if you will, in us remained. 
His physical body ascended to the throne of God. But His anointed body, the body of Christ, the church, never left the earth. The same power that was there at the cross, now resurrected. That's why He said, all power has been given unto me. Now you go. We are the body of Christ. So the power at the resurrection and the power at the ascension, the power the apostles had, the power the prophets had, is in the body of Christ. That's us. It's never left. So we should expect to see the same results as you see in Acts. You see, to say if the gifts ceased, to say if these things stopped, would say that the body of Christ changed or diminished. And the body of Jesus has not diminished. If anything, God commands us to grow into its full stature. And I don't think we've done that yet. And I don't think they accomplished that by the end of the book of Acts. I think there is yet a maturation, a maturity, a a fullness that is going to come to the body of Christ that dwells on the earth in a greater measure. That's you and I. And so, there should be a full stature. And God gave us something to help develop the body of Christ into its full stature, and that's found in Ephesians 4.11. And it says this, It was He who gave some to be apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, to prepare God's people for works of service, so that the body of Christ might be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, now get this, attaining to the whole or full measure of the fullness of Christ. That should mean that the body of Christ Jesus can come into nations and begin to immerse them in the presence and knowledge of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Great Commission is a commission to immerse nations in the presence of God. Not just teach Adam, not just speak to him, but in fact immerse them, subdue them, and have them be enveloped by the presence of God by His Holy Spirit. And He's going to do that work in us, through us, by us, through the fivefold ministry. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. That's what He's equipped us with to get this job done. I mean, He told us to go do this, didn't He? He said, all power is mine. Now it's yours. Go. And go immerse the nations with my presence. Go fill the nations. The kingdoms of this earth have become the kingdoms of our God. And that's our commission, brothers and sisters, to flood and fill this earth. We carry the very DNA of Jesus, the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, teacher. That very nature of Christ, the body of Christ here dwelling on the earth, is to go into every nationality, every community, every corridor, every part of the land, and bring in the immersion, the immersion of Christ, His presence. Amen? So let me take you through the fivefold and help you understand how this can impact the community. The community and also your home. All of this can be applied to your own life, to your own household, and how we live. 
Every one of us is baptized into Christ. We should be overwhelmed. Can I say that again? That's what baptism means. We should be overwhelmed by Christ in our life. Baptized by the Spirit into Christ Jesus. And Jesus said, I want to baptize you into my Spirit. And so baptism is an overwhelming, and I hope that you are overwhelmed today, not with grief, not overwhelmed with fear, but overwhelmed with the glory of God, the presence of God in your life and being. And as we look at, look at this room, as this many people believing in this one thing, all immersed in the Spirit of God, don't you think there's enough people right in this room to begin to immerse this community in the presence and identity of who God is? More than enough. More than enough. Let's do it. Let me show you how God wants it accomplished with that fivefold. We start with the, the apostle. I'm going to go quickly through this. Get your pens ready. Get right, right and down. What does this mean, an apostle? It means sent one. It originally came from the Phoenician. The Phoenicians were sailing people. They were people who uh, were very powerful in the ships. It then morphed into the Greek and Roman empires. And this is how they would take lands and take countries. As Rome began to grow or Greece would grow, they needed more finance, more raw and natural materials, so they would go invade other nations. And when they went to invade other nations, they would send out fleets of ships. And those were apostolos. Those were the sent ones. Those ships would go forth. And the admiral of those ships was called the apostolos, the apostle. He was the forebearer. He was the front runner of that nation that he or kingdom that he represented. And as he would take his ships into the new territory, he was known as a culture maker. His job, the apostle's job, is to take the culture of his kingdom and transplant it into the new territory. So that when they landed, they first defeated the enemy and had warfare against the resistance. All right, put this in the spirit realm. You with me? They would go in and defeat and disarm the authorities that were against them. And when they disarmed them, then the apostle would begin to bring the culture of the kingdom into that nation. They would begin to change the language of that nation to the mother language. They would begin to change the commerce and the coinage and the finance into the economy of the kingdom. And this is how God wants us to take the territories. Read the New Testament. This is exactly what Paul and Peter and Barnabas and all the 12 apostles and all those others who went out, this is exactly what they were doing. They were taking the kingdom of God into the nations of the earth and bringing the culture of heaven into the culture of earth. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Thy will be done. And so they would come and they would fight against the principalities and those warfares over the territories and pray them down. How many of you know that got Paul in a lot of trouble when he was in Ephesus, when he was in different areas? Why were they coming against him? Because he was tearing down the spiritual strongholds that had bound the city, that, that statue of Diana and so forth. It ruined 
the idol industry. How many of you remember that story? He went in and single-handedly by prayer defeated their economy by destroying their spiritual well-being. We can go into this place and destroy the economy of abortion, the economy of pornography, the economy that the enemy has bound these people with and bring the economy of heaven. Love, joy, peace, and souls being saved. Change the very kingdom of this world into a kingdom of our God. That's what it means to saturate and begin to immerse it. We have much more to talk about on that, and I'll continue later. So we need now those who can do the warfare in the heavenlies, the prophetic. Let me share with you just quickly a couple stories of the prophetic and how they move in the second heavens. They're coming in now when the immersion begins to take place, when we begin to immerse into this community, into the footprint God has given us, and we have strategies to do this, and we're going to change the kingdom culture of the earth into the kingdom culture of heaven, and you are the culture makers. And now this is going to appeal as I go through the five-fold. Different ones of you are going to light up. Oh, I like that. Or, oh, I'm not into that. And because you're just DNA in Jesus is going to cause you to move towards that apostolic or that evangelistic or that prophetic and whatever. So we're going to go through this and see how the body of Christ is going to immerse this community in the identity of Jesus. So after the apostle, we need the prophet. Those who are going to do the warfare and disarm the principalities. How many of you know we got principalities working out here? How many of you know that we've got strongholds out here? How many of you know that Roseville is very strong in witchcraft? It's got a history in sorcery and witchcraft. And so we've got, we need some folks to, who can go in the heavenlies and begin the warfare against the resistance. Now, let me share with you a couple stories. Uh, it's found in 1 Samuel 10 and 1 Samuel 19. And it talks about what's called the company of prophets. Other people name it as the school of the prophets. It's something that Samuel began. Elijah and Elisha continued uh, later on in the history of Israel. But the school of the prophets, and there's a couple stories that kind of highlight or indicate this. And uh, Israel wanted a king. God didn't want them to have a king yet. God had marked a king. God had identified a king. But he couldn't have a king yet because that King David, and I'm not going to get into the length of it, uh, came from the tribe of Judah, and Judah was cursed for ten generations, so it wasn't time for the king to come forward. If you'll do your research, you'll find out David was the tenth after the curse against Judah so that God was going to wait for his man. But they wanted a, they wanted a king premature, so they called for Saul. And uh, where did we find David? Out among the sheep, Right? Where did we find Saul? Out among the donkeys. Looking for his father's donkeys. I think there's a little bit of a sense of humor with God. You want a king? You people are wild and stray donkeys? I'll give you a king. And that's where they found him. Finding the wild and stray donkeys. They called him. Samuel said, I want you to go here. And as you go here... Um, you are going to run into the prophets, a company of prophets who are coming down at Gibeah. Gibeah was the place where this uh, ministry was taking. And, and as they came down, they will be prophesying, and the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you with power. You will prophesy with them, and you will be changed into a different person. 
this event happened. Saul's walking around looking for donkeys. He goes his way. He finds these folks playing psalters and hymns and psalms. And the, and the company of prophets come down. And that anointing hits Saul. And immediately he falls under the weight of that anointing and begins to prophesy. So much so that he stays with them for a couple of days in this presence. And it says he was a changed man from then on. Later on, we see that uh, as he was uh, a disturbed man and didn't stay faithful to God, 1 Samuel 19, he sends a group of people after David and those who are prophesying. As he sends the troops in, he sends the first wave in to go get them, and as they approach the presence or the company of the prophets, they are overwhelmed with the presence of God that they all begin prophesying. They turn around and come back And Saul says, did you get him? They said, we got something, but it wasn't him. And they said, the presence of God was awesome and wonderful. So he says, this isn't good. I'm going to go send another company. So he gets another garrison, and he sends them to get David. And as they approach the same thing, the prophets, uh, they come into the presence of God and the prophets, uh, the company of the prophets, and they too are hit by the overwhelming presence of God. They come back to Saul and he says, did you get him? And they said, no, it was an amazing thing. We didn't get him. Saul says, I'm going myself. Saul goes. As he begins to approach, he too falls under the weight and the presence and the anointing of the Holy Spirit of God because of the gathering or the company of the prophets. In fact, he sheds his clothes. He begins to praise God and for days he prophesies and prophesies and says, is Saul part of the prophets, this company? What's my point? The prophetic is not so much those people who have this particular gift or that and can say that. It is a people who can bring open heaven and the glory of God into a place. You see, that happened and broke loose at the church at Antioch. Jerusalem wasn't doing what it was supposed to do. God sent persecution so the church would move out. And the church began to move out. And it says that as they were fasting, as they were praying, as they were seeking God, the Holy Spirit came down and said, separate unto me, Saul and Barnabas. There was an open heaven. The ministry of the prophetic is that which brings an open heaven. And so the apostles going to bring the culture of heaven and the prophets are going to open the heavens over this community so that the floods of the Holy Spirit can begin to immerse this community. That's how God wants it to happen. How many of you remember the stories of Charles Finney's revivals? I don't remember the fellow's name, some of you do, but Charles Finney's success was based on a man who would walk in ahead of him in different towns and be in the closet praying till he said, come on Charles, the heavens are open. People commend him, actually, for the greater move of the Holy Spirit than Charles Finney. Charles Finney had a stature. He had an anointing. He had something that he brought in. But it was the prophetic that opened the heavens in preparation for that takeover of the land. And what am I talking about by immersing the land in the presence of God? Am I talking to, the, to them changing their mindset so they'll believe like us, so that they'll be Christians and this and that? What I want to introduce them to is the presence of God. Because in the presence of God is the fullness of joy. There's love, there's joy, there's peace, there's gentleness. And where God resides, there's peace in a community. Whether they believe Him or not. 
whether they trust in him or not, in America is a perfect example and illustration of this. For 200 years, the prosperity of America, the morality and dignity of America shined. Give us your poor. Give us your outcasts. Let them come here and they can find life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That's all based on the scripture of the kingdom of God, that whether you believe in Jesus or you don't believe in Jesus, you'll benefit from being a part of his economy. Now, we lost that in this nation, and now what we export is trash. But anyways, that's the prophetic. It's Jacob's ladder. It's God opening up the heavens. And thirdly, let's go on. The evangelist. Most of us think that the gift of evangelist is preaching, is, and, and that's part of it. But could I share with you something? That the Greek verb for gospel... When it says they spread the gospel, there's the noun, and then when they, uh, in the verb action of the word gospel, it's always translated in the English as to preach, to preach, to preach, to preach. And the gospel's more than just preaching. Can I prove it to you? All right, when Jesus stood up in the synagogue at Luke 4 and began to say what his ministry was, he was quoting Isaiah 61. He said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach good news. There's the preaching to the poor. Proclaim freedom to the prisoners, recover sight to the blind, release the oppressed, and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. There's proclamation, but there's also activation of the kingdom of God. I think a better word for evangelizing is gospelizing, because it includes what Jesus just said, setting prisoners free, giving sight to the blind, changing people's lives dynamically. That's gospelizing. It's easy enough to hand someone a track and walk away. That's nice. Hand them the track, pray for them, and then find out what their needs are and begin to help supply it. That's full evangelism. Changing this community by the presence of Christ is gospelizing. Mark 16 said, these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name, they will drive out demons. They'll speak with new tongues. They'll pick up serpents. No deadly poisons will harm them. They'll place their hands on the sick and they'll get well. That's gospelizing. That's the ministry of evangelism. You with me? It's full-bodied. We've reduced it to information. Here's some information for you. Basically, that's just another handbill. That's just another thing, uh, uh, junk mail that they're getting in their mail and on their phones and over TV. It's just another commercial. The kingdom of God has got to be more than a commercial. It's got to be more than a soundbite. We've got to gospelize this community. We've got to raise the dead, lay hands on the sick, not worry about what's going to come against us, let them worry about what's coming to them. That whole bit about picking up serpents, we don't care what the enemy's going to do. We're going to gospelize this community. And so we're going to take it. What are we taking to? The love of God. 
the peace of His Spirit, the joy, whatever human heart craves and wants. Do you see? This is an immersion. Do you see how this fivefold, if we use it properly, begins to immerse this community? We take it up into the heavens to open it up. We take the culture of the kingdom. That's the Sermon on the Mount. And then we take the evangelizing and we gospelize this place with the very presence and activity of God Himself. Somebody say Amen. This is the gospel. This is what we're supposed to be doing. God bless you for coming here today. I hope this is happening in your own personal life and in your home. And once it does, let's get it out there too. Now let me move on quickly. Then we need to shepherd this. There's always great moves of God. You've seen moves of God happen throughout the United States, even in the last 10, 15 years. Revivals and things outbreak. We've seen the gospelization that goes on. People healed, people delivered, right? Tremendous things taking place. But what happens is it falls away because it's not shepherded. It's not tended to. It's not personally brought to people's lives. We can get caught up in the anointing and caught up in the move of God, but at some place we've got to shepherd it and maintain it. Now that's something where we shepherd this community. We tend to the needs of this community. We oversee how this infiltration or immersion of the gospel is moving into our community. We've got to shepherd that. And I want to shepherd it past my generation. I want it shepherded by my children. And my children's children. What is my expectation? That this nation's going to be changed. That the earth is going to come into a revival that is going to be like the waters that cover the sea. Sound familiar? And so we need to shepherd this activity. Walking among the community. It's one thing to pray for people, walk away and go home. It's another to live among the people who need the shepherding. To care for them and walk among them. As we're delivering people out of pornography, delivering people out of alcoholism, delivering people out of drug use, someone's got to shepherd them. Someone's got to walk with them and care for them. You may not be the one who's in warfare in the heavenlies for the prophetic, but you know how to wipe a runny nose and clean up puke. Somebody shepherd these people. You see what I'm saying? See, there's got to be a real presence of Jesus. Immerse them in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Jesus came, they criticized him. Jesus came and he, and he sat with the drunkards and, and he, he sat to dinner with people. They said he was a glutton because he pastored, he shepherded the people. He cared for them. Prostitutes would come up to him weeping. He didn't push them away. He shepherded them into a new life. That's what is necessary if you want to maintain the immersion of the gospel. It's got to be shepherded. And last of all, it's got to be taught. We've got to instruct them, or as the Great Commission said, we have to disciple them and teach them how to obey Christ. That is not an easy thing. Has anybody uh, got that down? We're all being taught. We're all learning. We're all growing. And we need that teaching element of us how to teach people. Right? Right? You know, we, sometimes you have to teach people how, how to bathe. Our families are so broken in this community. We have kids being raised up. They don't even know how to brush their teeth. They don't know what a good meal is. They have to go to the school to get a good meal. 
And they have to have health classes in school to teach kids how to clip their nails and wash behind their ears because no one's telling them how. Well, think of it in the spirit realm. People coming into Christ, they have no clue how to pray. No clue what this Bible is. It's a big book. I'm scared of it. I don't understand it. And so if we want to dynamically immerse this community into the identity of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you need the fivefold operating to fully flood into this community, and it's going to take the full body of Christ at its full stature to do this. That's me, and that's you. Are you ready for this? Amen? I'm excited about this. This is Christianity, alive and well. Let's bow our heads. Father.